So it's good that you are joining us online this morning. We want to welcome you to our service. Those of you who are joining us for the very first time, I trust that the Lord will speak to your heart. The thing that I, I love most about the entire worship service is when we come before God with our praises. Now, I, I hope that you are not one of those who uh, are looking at your cell phone or doing something else while the worship is going on. Because, you know, Psalm 22 and verse 3 talks about God inhabiting the praises of his people. Passion translation reads like this, You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Now, he said, I will inhabit the praises of my people. It's not the praises of other people. When other people praise God, then God inhabits their praises. But until you and I join in the praising and worshiping of God, when we begin to sing, you are our way maker, our promise keeper, when we sing it from the depths of our hearts to him and we say, Lord, you are the one, then God comes and lives in the praises of his people. We need to understand that God does not live in the songs, but he lives in the praises of his people. So praise must be something that rises up from the inside of you. You know, in the Bible, when when uh, God created man and, and the woman, and then they had their children, the first thing they did was they brought a sacrifice to God. And uh, Cain and Abel brought, both of them brought their sacrifices. And when a sacrifice is given to God, then God comes and, and starts to minister. And this carries on throughout the word of God. When Elijah offered the the, the bullock on, on the Mount Carmel, when he put that built that altar and put the bullock on top of it. When the sacrifice was given, then God came down in fire. But God comes when the sacrifice is given. Abraham, for example, it says he pitched his tent, but he built an altar. In other words, the relationship of, with God in praise and prayer must be a permanent structure. While the things that we have in this world is but a temporary thing. Unlike his nephew Lot, who built his house, but pitched his tent. Uh, I mean, who built his house, but pitched his altar. <laughs> and, and it was just a temporary thing for, for uh, Lot. And as a result of which God called Abraham my friend, because prayer and praise was a permanent structure in Abraham's life. Now, of course, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 tells us that we are meant to bring our sacrifice before God begins to minister. And what is that sacrifice? It says, it is the sacrifice of praise, which is the produce of our lips. So I encourage you, church, if you want God to minister to you, listen, we thank God for a fantastic worship team that we have who want to help us offer up praises from our depth, from the depths of our hearts. You know what? As I was beginning to come, uh, driving down to, to this place so that I could prepare uh, to uh, give you this message, as I was coming in the car, uh, it suddenly became so real to me. It is not so much the physical atmosphere where God's uh, presence comes upon us. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit shall not only be with you, but the greater portion of it is he shall be 
in you. So when we begin to offer our praises to God, guess what happens? From within us begins to rise up. We were having, you know, whenever I have a prayer meeting, I always say this, whenever I start praying or having a prayer meeting with different individuals, I can sense the presence of God just rising up from within. So it doesn't matter what our external situation may be or the atmosphere may be, when you start praising God from inside of you, the Holy Spirit begins to rise up with His presence, with His uh, uh, with His power. And oh man, I tell you, this is such a wonderful thing to, to sense on the inside of you that God is living in such a powerful way. So I pray that you will not just uh, use songs and worship as a prelude to what God wants to have, but it'll become a real praise from your heart to Him. As you begin to praise Him in the worship service, join in the praises right where you are. It doesn't matter. You can just stand there and, and you can shut off everything else and just you and God, and you start singing, you know, God, you are my way maker. You are my promise keeper, God. I worship you, for you are the one, Lord. And as you begin to praise God like that, I guarantee guarantee you the presence of God will so rise up within you and soon it'll overflow all over you and you will be standing right there in your home, in your living room, wherever you are uh, watching it on your phone or your iPad or uh, laptop or even on, on your uh, smart TV, you will see, you will sense the presence of God in a very, very real way. I want to encourage you to be involved in praise and in worship. Amen. Now, the last couple of times I took a long uh, break in not preaching, but but I've been enjoying the services from Pastor Stefan and, and, and Joanna and, and Jonathan. Tremendous word that they have been bringing to us each time. I trust that you have been opening your heart to receive what the Lord has been saying to you. And when I spoke to you about encountering God, isn't it a privilege that God wants to encounter us? He, he wants there to be a meeting of the two, him and us, you and God meeting together. And John, I started off by talking about John the Apostle and how he had a good, when he met with God, he had a good revelation of Jesus. Then he had a growing revelation of Jesus. And through the gospel, you can find his knowledge of, of Jesus begins to grow. Finally, he has this grand revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, high and exalted and worshiped the Lamb of God. We also talked about the adulterous woman who met the, the, the Christ who did not condemn her, Christ who was so compassionate. Oh, hallelujah, Christ that did not compromise, but he was so compassionate in his reaching out to her when everybody else wanted her to be condemned. So what a wonderful Jesus we have. And, and this morning as we come uh, into this message, I'd like to go into John's gospel again because it is in John's gospel that you find this wonderful encounters with Christ. But as I go into this, I'm reminded of Jonathan's message last Sunday morning when he talked about God not having favorites. And it's true. God does not have any favorites. But you know something, I, I discover him looking out for certain individuals. For example, uh, there were Jesus said there were many lepers in, in Israel and Syria at that time, but he healed only one. He picked the, that Syrian general called Naaman and healed him. He, he's, he was talking about his sovereignty on his uh, uh, 
his right to choose whoever he wants. He walks along the, the shoreline of, of Galilee. There are many fishermen there, but he picks out Peter. He picks out James. He picks out John. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as you go down the story of Christ, you begin to see that he does different things. He comes down to the, the shoreline again and he sees that there are many boats there, but he picks up Peter's boat and he says, Peter, why don't you lend me your boat? Uh, he, he has a way of picking out different individuals. So the story today comes from John chapter 5, which is a very familiar portion of scripture, but you know, we may learn something uh, uh, from this story, all right? I have learned so much and I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak into your heart from this word. So John chapter 5 verses 1 through 14, and this is what it reads. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water that what uh, whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease they had. Now a certain man, now this is very important, now a certain man who had an infirmity. I want us to remember this one. He had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he was already there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Do you want wholeness to come back into your life? It is basically the question. The sick man answered him, Sir, I don't have anyone to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, somebody else steps in before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole or well, took up his bed and walked. And on that day was the Sabbath. And you know, the Jews begin to get upset with this. It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed and to walk. And he answered them, the, the one who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. The one who made me whole. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, do this, take up your bed and walk. The man uh, who was healed, did not know who it was because Jesus had withdrawn uh, a multitude being in that place. Jesus just withdrew, walked in through the crowd and disappeared. Now, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Lest a worse thing come upon you. Now, here, here is this man who has a divine encounter with Christ, uh, with the incarnate God. Uh, he has this encounter with Christ. Now, here is Jesus. He comes to Jerusalem at the Passover. This is the feast of the Passover. This is one of the three uh, Passovers that Jesus uh, went to. That's why we know that Jesus had uh, a three-year ministry. All right, And you can only find that in the Gospel of John, where he mentions three different times Jesus goes into Jerusalem and three Passovers. All right, so now here's this great feast. The Passover was the biggest feast ever in Jerusalem. People came from all over the world. Jews from all over the world would travel almost, you know, like, like months to get to this place. And now the place is crowded out. Great festivity. The celebrations were tremendous, but Jesus leaves the festivities and goes to a place where many are not really celebrating. 
Many are deep in in uh, uh, sickness and disease, and it, it's like a terrible two two thousand years ago. The kind of hospital that they had. Well, this was the, that kind of a hospital where there was no real hospital, but everybody's waiting for some religious experience to take place. And, and they are all there. And you can imagine the smell from all the sick people that are there. And Jesus goes out. And that's, that's the whole heart of God. He, he's not so caught up with the celebrations and, and, and festivities that we sometimes offer him. He's, he's interested in people who are really hurting and who don't, who cannot join in the celebrations. If you look at the Jewish law, all these people could not enter the temple because they had diseases. They, 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 they had different kinds of infirmities or weaknesses or different things, and they were not permitted to come into the temple. And it is for these people that Jesus goes out to. That, that's a message for us, that God is not so, uh, you know, interested in, in the whole, but he's interested in the ones that are really in need of him. For I did not the physician does not come to for people who are well, he said, but the physician comes for those that are sick and who really need his help. So Jesus has come here. And today, you know, I believe that the Lord is looking out for that one person uh, who is listening to this message, who feels like uh, while everybody else, you know, may be having a breakthrough through this pandemic thing, I, uh, I, I just cannot join them in the celebration. But so I really wish I could sing like you would like me to sing, but, but I cannot because of, of what I'm going through. And you are lying there. And today, you know, like for this man, today was going to be a special day for him and like it is going to be a special day for you. But as I looked at this story, I began to think, uh, you know, what can I learn from this? And what was Jesus, what is Jesus trying to say to me personally? Well, one of the things is the first lesson that I must learn is this. I must stop making excuses. If I want wholeness to come into my life, I must stop making excuses. Did you notice when Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made well? If he were to ask you right now, do you really want your life to be transformed? Do you want to have a successful life? Do you want to have your life filled with joy, a song of praise rising up to him and, and just blessing his holy name? Do you want to be uh, have your business do well? I mean, not just do well, but, but exceed uh, the, the years that have gone by. Do you, want to, do you want to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers? What will your answer be? I'm sure... Like me, you know, your, your answer would certainly be, of course, Lord, I, I want that to happen. But not with this man. He starts off, instead of answering the question, do you want to be made well, with an excuse. Sir, you know, I, nobody wants to help me, man. I could be so much better if only somebody helped help me along the way. If only someone would begin to get me up. The reason why I am where I am at, sir, is because nobody cares, man. Everybody's thinking about themselves. <laughs> you know, if we want to think about excuses, we can always come up with something, right? Yeah, I heard the story about this guy who goes to his neighbor and he says, hey, uh, could, could you lend me your car? 
And the guy looks at him and says, um, well, actually, I cannot because, you know, there are no flights today from Malaysia to Cape Town. So I cannot lend you my car. So the guy says, hey, what has got the flight from KL to Cape Town got to do with me? Uh, got to do with you lending me the car? The guy thinks very well. He said, well, if... if if you want an excuse, man, this is as good as an excuse as any. <laughs> it's just that what, what, he, what we are trying to say is that if we want to find an excuse, man, we will find it. We will find it. We, we somehow like to play the blame game. If, if only. I remember reading about this National Football League, one of the top guys, and uh, he was sharing about his experience. And he said, there were so many other guys who were far better than me. They, they, they could run better. They were much bigger. They were stronger. But he says, I call them Idas. I give them the name Idas, I-D-A-S, I-D-A-S. So he said, uh, the, the guy asked him, what do you mean when you say Idas? Well, he says, the problem with them is they, they give excuses. They would always say, well, I'd, I'd like to do this. I'd like to be an I'd like to I'd, Ida. I'd like to, I'd, I would be this if only, if I'd be that, I'd do this, and I'd be a superstar. You know, there's always, I'd, I would, in other words, but circumstances don't permit it. So if we want to look for excuses, there, there, there will always be excuses. As long as we are making excuses, we, we will stay where we are. There's nobody to help me. Joel Osteen said, excuses gives us permission to settle for less than God's best. You see, there's no one that can hinder my destiny except me. You say, oh, Pastor, that's easy for you to talk like you don't understand the situation that I am in. You know, you are absolutely right. I do not know the situation that you are in. But I'm trying to encourage you here to, to, to tell you that if you will have an encounter with the one who is close to you, who has come by your way. Now, as I said, you know, as Jonathan said, God has no favors, but God comes along and he picks out certain individuals. This is his sovereignty. He's exercising his sovereignty. He decides who he's going to choose. And he chooses this one man in a multitude of people. He says there was a multitude of people, but he picks out this one person and he gives him that offer. And it's true. He can be touched. Jesus can be touched by the feelings, our frustrations, our failures, our foibles. I mean, he can be touched by how we feel. He can be touched by our frustrations. But you know, you've got to believe God. In one of our Bible studies, I spoke about that term believe because we often say, I believe God can do this. God can do that. I believe God can, can bless my business. Uh, you know, pastor, I even talk about tithing. I said, some people believe they would say, oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor, when I talk about tithing, oh yes, pastor, that was a wonderful message. Hardly preach on tithing for a long time. Maybe I should. But when we speak about tithing and giving of your uh, offerings towards God and how God will bless you, some people go with this, oh man, they're only interested in our finances. No, 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 no. We, we, God will provide for us. And I want to say this right, right now to you. Thank God, even during this entire one year already, 
God has been so faithful. You have been so faithful. Your sowing has helped the church do so many things. Once you know, uh, I get messages from even India, from Punjab. Pastor Abby has just started another new work. Isn't that wonderful? And he says, Pastor, just tell the church, you know, your support has meant so much to me. So I want to say thank you so much for your continual support, not only in prayer, but in your finances. God bless you for it. But listen, you've got to believe that God will take you further with greater joy, peace, and success with the 90% if you trust Him than for you to carry on with 100% without God. Believe me, that's a fact. So we say we believe, but we must believe that God will do something. God can carry us through. I've got to stop making excuses. We often feel that we are the exception. No, we are not. You don't understand. They are like this, but I am different. No, 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 no. All are the same. All go through. For we have all been tested, the Bible says. But God will always come through for us. So stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Point number two that I learned here is this. I must start making the needed effort. So the thing about this is God identifies in the word the people that were around the pool. There were those who were crippled. There were those who were uh, sick people, blamed, lame, paralyzed. But this guy is neither lame, neither is he paralyzed. If you, if you look at it carefully, it says he had an infirmity. And the word infirmity means a weakness. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about this chapter 12. He uses the same word. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. The word infirmities is weakness, that the power of God may rest upon me. NIV says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The word again is weakness. Therefore, I will boast most gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, so what he's saying, this is why Jesus did not say to this man, be healed. He's asking, do you want to be made whole again? It's, it's like, you're not really sick, but you think you are. And so, what happens is, he says, now listen, if you want to come back to wholeness, you've got to make the effort. That's why Jesus commanded him. He says to him, I want you to take up your bed, rise, get up, get up now, stop making excuses, make the effort that is needed. If you want change in your life, that change is only going to come if you make the needed effort. You rise up. Now, come on, get up, take up your bed and move. Get up and do something if you want there to be a change in your life. I belong to a little theological group, you know, and, and this, uh, this is people from all over the world on, on a little chat thing. And uh, we follow uh, one of the big theologians of today called N.T. Wright. And just listening to him teaching is, is tremendous. He's one of the greatest theologians right now. And we discuss his work sometimes. And, and sometimes they ask different questions. Now, one guy asked this question. He said, shall I, uh, I'm very interested in pursuing my education. I want to take a master's degree. But he says, I'm already 45 years old. And I'm wondering whether I'm a little bit too old to enter into a program. 
So I replied to him and I said, listen, you're never too old to start something. I began my Master's of Theology at the age of 55. Uh, I just wanted to stretch my ability to uh, you know, the, uh, go into the disciplines of getting back into academia. I mean, studying, really, really improving myself, uh, stretching my, uh, <laughs> well, ability to study once again, get back into the books again and at 55. And, uh, you know, like somebody once said to me, yeah, Pastor, where are you going to take this this one now, 55? By the time you finish three years later, you're going to be 58 years old. Whether whether you take it or you don't take it, you're still going to be 58 years old. So I decided to go into it. Now, was it difficult? Of course. Of course it's difficult. I mean, I finished my studies when I was 23 years old. It was all over, done with in Bible college. And now so many years later to come back into the disciplines of getting down, doing research all over again. This is not just for preaching. This is an academic exercise which was which will really be very taxing. Was it difficult? Yes. Did you feel like giving up? Yes. But if you wanted to do something, if you want that to be a change, you've got to get into it and push yourself into it. You've got to get into it. You've got to make the effort. Some give up halfway. I know of a couple of people who give who gave up halfway. They decided, man, this, this is going to be a little bit too tough. I'm going to stop right here. But thank God, you know, there are others who come alongside you and encourage you. Make the needed effort. Last Sunday morning, uh, Jonathan spoke and he talked about Nita making the effort to be a good singer. And I was beginning to think, I, I thought she had a natural ability to sing. You know, uh, it was just part of, you know, uh, she inherited it from a good singer, uh, her father. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but she put in effort. She began to put effort in so that she could become a good singer. This is what we've got to be. So do, do I want to have a better life? Do I want to have a better business? Do I want to have a better relationship? Do I want my financial uh, situation to change? Do I want to lose weight? Do I want to bake a cake? Do I, uh, all these kind of things. Do I want to become more positive? Do I want to become a, a, a bigger giver? <clears throat> all these things we have to say, I've got to make the needed effort. Now, folks, affliction attracts attention. And we can use that because people start giving us attention. We become comfortable. And the guy was comfortable. There was nothing really wrong with him. It was a weakness that he began to receive. He, he began to believe in that weakness and it caused him to lie down to the place where he was like a paralyzed man, although he was not. He just needed a word spoken into his life. Number three, switch off your past experiences. See, the experiences he had was religious experiences. He was It was on the Sabbath day. He was not supposed to do anything that was out of the religiosity of the day. Uh, he waited for the moving of the water, which was something that was taught for years, year after year, year after year. That's why for 38 years, he was like, he, he must have been a pretty old man by now. Pretty old man by now. See, because the average lifespan of a person at that time, believe it or not, was like about 35 years old. So whatever it was he got, now when Jesus says, go and sin no more, which meant that his sickness came about, his weakness, this weakness that, that affected him so badly, started when he was in, in his 18, maybe 20 years old. He was probably close to about 60 years old by now, all right? 
And, and uh, but Jesus says it is never too old to start making the change. Make the effort. Come on, you. Old guy, come on, you. Take up your bed and rise. So he had to shift in his entire uh, experience. He had to put aside all the 38 years of lying there, waiting for somebody to help him. His whole mentality had now begun to receive I must get help from someone. Every time somebody must bring me here to the pool in the morning, in the evening, they come take me back home, whatever it was. Of course, he was not living right there at the pool, but he had to be brought there every time. Think about this. This was the Passover feast. They were celebrating the cutting of the lamb, the, the, the death of the lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb, the placing of the blood. And that was the shadow of what was to become reality. Now the Lamb of God was walking the streets of Jerusalem. The Passover shadow had now become reality for this man. He had to put aside the shadows and accept the reality. Enough of all the religion, religiosity that we have been practicing. Now we've got to have the reality. We've got to push aside all the past things we think about Christianity and accept the reality of his presence. Push aside, switch off your past experiences. Say, God, I want to experience you in the fresh and in the now because you are the now God. Amen. You are walking right here beside me. Okay, number four, very important thing to do is submit your explanation. What do I mean for this? It says, and Jesus found him. It's like after the experience was over, Jesus got him to be made whole. And then he kind of withdrew his presence. And the man did not really know it was Jesus. But he knew that this person had made him well. I want to use that to... To, to relate to your experience with Christ. Now, you know that Jesus has saved you. You know that he has made you whole. You know that he has blessed you. But somehow, <clears throat> he kind of withdraws his presence where we don't really know him like we should know him. And the reason why he withdraws his presence is to see what we will do with our wholeness. Now that he has made you whole, now that he has come into your life and showed you that there's a whole new way of living, what are you going to do with your life? So he comes the second time looking to find out where we are at at this moment. You have experienced him. You have been blessed by him. You have been healed by him. Uh, you have talked about the goodness of the Lord. All these things are wonderful. But where are you now? I, I'm so glad that when Jesus came looking for him, he found him in the temple. I began this message by talking about building a permanent structure of Prayer and praise in your life. When he comes, where will he find you? See, Jesus said to him, go and do not sin again. Because if you do something worse than what you have been experiencing will come upon you. 
which meant that there was the possibility of him being made whole. And instead of being in the presence of God, he could be parting with his friends. Instead of being in the presence of the Lord, he could be in the presence of God's enemies. Things that would hinder him from becoming all that he ought to be. The Lord comes looking for us to find out where are we. In the midst of all of this, where am I? Having received the blessing of the Lord upon our lives, where am I today? That's the question God has for you. So as we gather around this morning, around the communion table, and begin to partake of this, we are saying, God, the shadow has become the real. Now as we partake of this, we can say, God, I, I can be made whole again. I can begin to celebrate you again. I can begin to have wholeness in my life. And God, I want to be found when you come and look for me, I want to be found in your presence all of the time. I want, to, I want to be there, Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell. He didn't talk about just living, you know, in the temple. He was talking about that I may dwell in the house or in the presence of God. David at that time didn't really have a temple built but he said, he talked about the house of the Lord or the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He's talking about the presence of God, the presence of God. So I want to welcome you as we partake of communion together this morning. I want you to say, God, as I partake of this, I want to build a permanent structure in my life of praise and prayer and worship unto you. Amen? All right, let's do this together. So let's take the cup. And then let's take the bread together and hold it in our hands. And we say, Father, how thankful we are to you. But while lying by a pool, beside so many others in this world who are sick and lame and blind and crippled, paralyzed, Lord, we are in the midst of a sick people. <clears throat> And yet out of the multitudes, you point your finger at us and say, will you be made well? I pray that all of us will, be answer, will, will answer with the affirmative. We will all say, Lord, yes. We will not come up with some kind of excuse. We will make the needed effort, Lord, as you bring wholeness into our lives. May we be found constantly in your presence. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. He has now become the real deal for us. No longer the shadow, but now we have the real Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who brings about complete wholeness to every one of us. He now walks in our midst. I ask that you would bless the bread as we partake of it in Jesus' name. Thank you for your healing, Lord. Thank you for your healing to every individual that needs wholeness. Not so much a healing in their physical bodies, but wholeness in their spirit man. From the inside, they will say, I do want to be made well. Whether they are suffering in any, any area of their life, any area of brokenness that has caused them to lie down instead of rising up and moving in power and in faith and in success, God, I ask that you would now just touch them.
speak a word, say, rise up, and your word is powerful. It brings life, Lord. Bring life. Cause your people to rise up in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin to hold the cup together and we say, Lord, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Where would we be without the sacrifice of the Son of God and his shed blood? Bless the cup now as we partake of it. And we give you thanks, Lord, for making us your special princely people who can offer up the praises of God. Bless the cup in Jesus' name. Let me just pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for each person who's watching online. I ask that your presence will be so real to each one of them. They will determine in their hearts. They will take the responsibility upon themselves, not start giving excuses or pointing fingers at anyone. Because, Lord, when we begin to ex give excuses, we are, we, are we are just holding ourselves back from your very best. So, Lord, cause your people to rise up in the name of Jesus and be made whole. Thank you, Father. Now, lifting up our heads, I say, Father, please bless your people and keep them. Cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Give them peace in all their homes. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great week. We want to see you in our Bible studies as well. If you can, try to join us in our prayer meetings. And we ask that the Lord be with you in a special way. Be blessed.